day you spoke to me. Or you might be driving, you might go, how can this person turn left without signaling left? We get indifferent about small things. And that is the tendency for all of us, isn't it? We have these high standards, impossibly high standards, for other people. But when it comes to us, our tendency is to lower the standards. And that's why it's so easy to judge others with these low standards. After a chapter of God telling us and that God is, uh, uh, Paul telling us that God is revealing his wrath towards the world, uh, Paul then uh, comes down and focuses on moral writers. People who think, well, that's actually for other people. It's not really for me. I'm doing pretty well, while these other people are doing terribly. He addresses the moral writers who feel pretty good about it. He tells them here that they're not the judge, that they too will be judged, surprisingly, by their words, by their standards that have been revealed to them. So verse 1 says, you who pass on judgment on somebody else. Of course, this can't mean, possibly mean, that we can't judge anyone, that we should suspend all judgment, we should check our minds out, and we should just turn our blind eyes when our brothers and sisters sin. No, that's not what it means. After all, Paul often points out when people do wrong things. I mean, he just has given us a long list of things that people do wrongly. And we are to pursue holiness together. This is Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus tells, if your brother or sister sin against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, then forgive them. Paul charges Timothy and Titus to gently rebuke people who sin in the church. Jesus tells the church how to conduct church discipline in Matthew 18, how to gently speak to the people who are sitting in the church and what the procedure should be in order to, uh, to, to the point that we can kick somebody out of the church. Now this is not to suspend all our thinking or judgment, renounce all correcting and exhorting, but what then does it mean? Well, first of all, it's wrong, I think, saying to, uh, to watch out for hypocrisy, verse 1, where he says, for whatever, uh, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you pass on judgment, uh, you who pass on judgment do the same thing. There is a level of hypocrisy in all our judgments, isn't there? I see it myself, I've had to counsel in my position as a pastor, Tell people not to be proud, or tell people not to be greedy, or lustful, or um, uh, to uh, be disobedient to parents, or slander, gossip, all those things. But I, I do it knowing that I do it myself. That there is a level of hypocrisy that I cannot escape. I am a sinner telling another person. That's all of us. We're all sinners, aren't we? Actually, I think this is one of the reasons why people sometimes are so harsh on other people because they wake up and they look at themselves in the mirror and they don't like the person they see themselves on the mirror because they know that they have sinned. And sometimes when people know that they're sinner, how they react is by cutting other people down to make themselves feel better. I'm so sorry. Some, some, could we just turn that off? I found it a little too distracting. Yeah, it's too loud. Sorry. 
philosopher Thomas Hobbes wrote that some people can keep themselves in their own favor by observing the imperfections of other men. So they cut other people down. So the proper response to recognizing our moral impurity is repentance and to stop acting like that we're in the place of God, a place of judgment towards other people would not God. And that's what he says in verses 2 and 3. He says, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on the truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass on judgment um, on them and get to the same thing, you will escape God's judgment. We are to recognize that we're just human beings, that God is the ultimate judge, that only God can judge based on the truth. Only God can judge based on uh, purity, pure moral perfection. Only God should judge us from the placement of judgment. Well, the moralizers might still say, well, I'm still better than these other people, and how can I just turn a blind eye when people do bad things? Uh, God seems also happy with me. I'm blessed. God seems not angry with me. I'm blessed. My, my life is pretty good. My career is going pretty well. I'm pretty happy. But friends, that God blesses it's not a sign of our personal righteousness. It's a sign of God's grace. It's a sign of God's grace. I wake up each day and I count my blessings. I am really thankful for Mary, for my kids, for all of you, for the, the and I can do the work that I am doing, maybe get paid for it. And I, I count my blessings, but I know that as I count my blessings, that I'm not blessed because I'm good. I am blessed because I know my heart. I Blessed far beyond 
uh, but we should be. Yeah, that every gift is a blessing from the Lord, a sign of His kindness and patience towards us, and they are meant for us to. Uh, they are meant to lead us to repentance. Jesus told us to store up treasures in heaven. And verse five actually tells us that you can do exactly the opposite as well store up God's wrath against us. The picture is here of a dam. That's uh, swelling, uh, growing bigger and bigger, that will eventually burst open. And that day is the God of the day of the judgment. God who is kind, kind, abounding in love, he's also the judge over the world. He cannot just forgive. He cannot simply turn a blind eye. He needs to make respect the God who just says I'll forgive everybody even though you have ruined the world, you have done evil things. No. What's surprising in this passage is not that God will judge. I think we understand that it's a good thing that God judges that he does not let evil things go. But I think what's surprising in verse 6 that we'll be judged according to what we have done. According to our works. Verses 7 to 8, those persist uh, who do good will inherit eternal life, and those who do bad things, follow evil ways, will uh, be given over to God's righteous wrath. You might ask if you're a good Protestant person like me, does this mean that some of us will be given eternal life based on our works and not our faith? Not exactly. Paul here is not leaving a room for salvation by works here. If you glance down to verse 12, it goes down to say, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. All who sin uh, under the law will also be judged by the law. You see, they will perish and they'll be judged. The context here is not one of salvation, it's one of judgment. In fact, this is how Paul concludes this whole section, chapters 1 through 3. The section ends in chapter 3. Verse 10, all, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. But famously, chapter 3, verse 23, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's glory. We are all sinners. And when our works are laid out, apart from the faith that in Jesus, our works are laid out, our works will condemn us and not save us. How can you say though that those who do good things will eternal, inherit eternal life? Well, those who have faith in Jesus will demonstrate that faith by their works, won't they? You see, faith and work have always gone together. Paul doesn't separate it, James doesn't separate it. One trust in Jesus, that genuine faith will bear the works of, uh, of faith. Works, uh, genuine faith will inherently produce works of faith. So on the judgment day, God will not ask you, do you believe in Jesus? What God will do is God will lay out the works and say, yes, your works show that you have faith in Jesus. And your works here do not show the faith in Jesus. Because it's a public demonstration at judgment day. And apart from the faith in Jesus, our works will only condemn us. And I know that this is hard to hear. But even the best of our friends 
for kind and understanding apart from faith in Jesus will receive condemnation. And you might think this is hard. But just take a look at the state of the world from God's perspective. All are little sins. All the things that we think are little are pride, are lust, envy, lies, greed, lack of mercy towards others. Um, these are little to you, but they add up to ruin God's good world, haven't they? And our sins don't just affect us, it affects other people. It creates this world that is fallen. Our pride might uh, create an oppressive work environment. Or, you know, uh, uh, it affects us in all sorts of ways. Our greed might further create this world, uh, further uh, create, uh, further exploit the poor. Our lives, small and big ways, create this environment where we can't trust each other. We have to leave behind people's hoards. Our lives support billion-dollar industry of porn and whatever. Our little Colonialism, racism, slavery, genocide, exploitation. All these ways our little sins add up to these big sins that have grave consequences. And I know that the difference between a murderer and me is actually not a different kind of sin, but sin that is different in degree, not in kind. There is anger in me that could be nurtured into murder given the right circumstances. But it is in there, in me as well as somebody who murders another human being. All this is to say, our sins are not little. It's hard, but it's, it is important to hear. It's hard, it's, it's important because it's important to get the right diagnosis. If I had a chest pain, uh, chest pain um, in my heart, important to get the right diagnosis, isn't it? You know, if I want to go to a doctor and the doctor tells me, actually, you're fine, you should do exercise and eat better. But if there is a heart disease that can only be cured by heart transplant, I might just go out for a run and drop dead that evening because of the wrong diagnosis. The diagnosis that God gives to the world is that we are fallen and we are deserving of God's wrath, collectively and individually, we deserve God's righteous judgment. Friends, this is why, it is one reason why it's important to tell others about Jesus. Because in Jesus there is salvation. It's important to tell others that they are storing up God's wrath against themselves on the day of the judgment, unless they repent and turn to Christ. And be sure to know that on that day, the judgment will be completely fair and just. Because God will judge us, not by some impossible standard, but the, the, the standards that have been revealed to each one of us. Often people ask, well, what about those people who haven't heard the gospel? Isn't it unfair that God will judge them by standards that they don't even know? Well, take a look at verse 12 again. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. You see, God will judge by the fair standard that have been revealed to them in their hearts. The Jewish people and now the Christians know and have the scripture. 
It means that we'll be judged by the standards of Scripture. But if we don't have the Scripture, if we have not uh, been revealed, um, gifted uh, with these, then they'll be judged, verse 15, by the law written in their hearts, in their conscience. They know, you see, what Paul is saying is that some, to some degree, everybody knows the Ten Commandments. You know, in chapter 1, he's told us that everybody should know to worship God. Because God's his presence and His power have been revealed so clearly to the world. And everybody also knows that we shouldn't murder, we shouldn't commit adultery, we shouldn't steal and lie and envy others, that these are evil things. Everybody knows the standards, and they'll be judged by those standards. Francis Schaeffer is an apologist.
And as he was sitting in the diner, he listened to this conversation between these two people, one was a woman named Agnes and her friend. Agnes was saying to her friend that tomorrow was going to be her birthday. Her friend, he writes, responded in a nasty tone. So what do you want me to do? Throw you a birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get your cake and sing happy birthday? And after they left, Tony asked uh, the owner, Harry, who they were. And he found out that Agnes was a prostitute who came to visit the diner every night. And that at that moment, Tony decided to throw a birthday party for her. And with the help of Harry, the owner, he organized this party. Uh, the word got out at 3.15 a.m. They came in and it was wall in his words, a filled with prostitutes, and then Tony. And when she walked in at 3.30 um, a.m., everybody cried out, happy birthday. And she completely flabbergasted. He writes, her mouth fell open, her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friends grabbed her arms to steady her as she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter. We all sang happy birthday to her. As we came to the end of her singing, with happy birthday to your eyes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. And then on the birthday cake, with all the candles on it, was carried out. She lost it and she openly cried. And she didn't want to eat the cake. Because no one had done such a kind thing to her. She wanted this to last a little longer. She asked uh, her friends if she could just take the cake home and keep it for a bit. And they said yes. And she said, oh, my house is nearby. I'll be right there. She took the cake, went out, and nobody knew what to do. But there was silence that descended into the room. And Tony then said, what do you say? Can we pray for her? And so he did. And he writes, when, he, when I finished, Harry leaned over. Hey, he never told me they were a preacher. What kind of a church do you belong to? In one of those moments, when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws a birthday party for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the morning. Harry waited a moment and then almost sneered and answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join it. Friends, Christians know the kindness of the Lord. Kindness to us is not a sign of our righteousness. It's kindness, it's a sign of His grace and His mercy towards us. May we, all of us, give beauty and notice the death of our hearts, the sinfulness of our hearts, but also know the greater grace. Kindness and mercy of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we confess our sins before you. Lord, we confess our tendency to judge others, to think that we are better than others, to look down on others. And when we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us the death of our sins, that you would help us to be people who know that we are just sinners saved by your amazing grace. 
We pray each day as we wake up, we'll count our blessings and know your kindness and know your mercy. And we pray that you will make us a people who extend that kindness and mercy to one another. That tells us, that tell us to the world that amazing kindness and mercy of our Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that your spirit will help us.